I'm going to continue today uh, through this current series that we are in uh, that really is meant to be a reset or a reestablishment of what it is that Door of Hope is about. And we begin by kind of talking around the foundation um, of our church is, is, has to be built upon love. Love is revealed through the gospel, God's one-way love, which is God's free grace. As I like to say, grace is, is never cheap, but it's always free. And, and we have to be a community that demands uh, love from your leadership, but we have to demand love from one another because this is the way by which we let the world know that we are the disciples of Jesus. Um, we considered in the, the second week that our cross carried uh, is connected to his cross proclaimed. And that the cross is the center. If love is the foundation, the cross is the center of the, of the Christian message. And we as a church, we want to be built on love. We want to be, be centered on the cross because it's what gives our church its equilibrium. It's what gives the Christian message its power. If we take the cross out of the gospel, we literally drain Christianity of its blood. And then last week we considered this concept of what is desperately needed today, which is a radical vulnerability and that our vulnerability, our confession that is, is what leads to real fellowship. Our ability to be honest about our brokenness before God and before one another, that, that we can't escape the fact that we live in a world that is, that is fallen and that fallen reality has plagued every aspect of creation. Our own lives are marks of that. And if we aren't honest about our own brokenness, what we end up doing is actually hurting our, our communion, not only with God, but with one another. And that actually sin confessed becomes the very place where Jesus, the savior of the sinner, meets us. Sin hidden actually hides God from our presence and forces us into a pretense that actually hurts the church and, and destroys its witness. And so this call to radical confession, which I should have stated last week, confession implies repentance. Repentance is, is something that is a continual response to the gospel of Jesus. When the cross is our center, repentance is that change of direction. Because if there's only one way to go, there's a thousand ways to fall, which means that we're constantly moving off of the path. Slipping uh, is a, the title, the new working title of my book since the publisher uh, rejected the good death because they thought it was about euthanasia. I tried to tell them that it can be about spiritual euthanasia of sorts, uh, but this is what you get when you sign with a major, uh, a, a major publisher like Penguin is that you have a sales team that aren't Christian. So they're like, what is the good death about? Um, I always say the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I'm pretty sure I read that once. Um, but, uh, but the new working title is Stumbling Toward Eternity. And, and this idea that, that the Christian life is kind of this falling down, getting back up, drifting to the side. I mean, this is the reality. It's not like the, the trajectory toward Christ in eternity is, this, is some sort of straight line. It's, it's more of this ever flowing up and down reality, which is why we so desperately need one another. And so today what we're going to be considering is this, um, is our repentance, which turns us back to Jesus, uh, must be marked by this, that our witness 
actually is our sanctification. Now, I'm not saying that witness is all there is to sanctification, but what I am saying is that witness is the chief purpose of the church, and it is what leads to sanctification, which flows out of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And I want to begin with a quote from Jacques Ellul, um, my favorite French Christian thinker, he is past now, a book that he wrote in 1948 that blew my mind. I read it twice this last year, uh, Presence in the Modern World. He wrote this, Christians stand before humankind within the world's spiritual reality as the visible sign or witness of the new covenant that God has made with this world in Jesus Christ. Christians must be a true sign, however, their life, that's their sanctification, and words, that is their communication, must manifest this covenant to humankind. And Lul uses the three metaphors that Jesus himself used of the church when he said to his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He said, you are sheep amongst wolves. And all of these metaphors give us a picture of what the purpose of the church is. As the light of the world, we are secondary light. We're consistently reflecting the reality of Christ, who is the light of the world, and his light has come into the world. We are to reflect his light and, and cast that light upon the world in its darkness that people might come to know the love of God. As the salt of the earth, the church is a preservative the world is bad, but it is not as bad as it could be. And the church is meant to forever be a response to the brokenness of hum humanity. Our ability to reflect Jesus brings a preserving factor and draws people into the saving reality of Christ himself. As sheep amongst wolves, we cannot fall into the trappings of what that evangelist did last week, which is said, we're going to preach the gospel, and if you don't like it, you might meet your maker soon because we might have to shoot you. That is not the gospel. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Actually, it's just a wolf. It's not even in sheep's You're not even trying if you're trying to enforce the gospel by a gun. Uh, the bottom line is this, is that sheep amongst wolves means that our posture toward the world is not to be that of dominance. It is to be that of sacrificial service the laying down of our lives for the good of those around us, that our enemies are those whom we have come to love and to serve. That when David writes, you have prepared a table for me before my enemies, that table is not so that you can eat while they watch hungry. No, that table is that you are at a table that is inviting the enemies to come and eat with you as a witness to the reality of who Jesus is. The faithful listener who becomes the preacher, the witness, which is you and I, because it is we who preach Christ crucified, is only, as Karl Barth said, a mailman. Barth says, delivering a letter which he has neither written nor altered. He is an amateur trumpeter, and no matter how unschooled he or she may be, his trumpet will awaken the sleepers. I love that picture, that we as the witness to the reality of Christ, we're just, we're just mailmen. We're just presenting to the world that which has already been spoken. We don't have the right to alter that message. 
but we must give it continually, both in word and in deed. So how does witness and sanctification work? Well, I want to consider really three things, and that's the purpose of the church, the holiness of the church, and ultimately the maxim of the church, or the aphorism that should define all of our activity. And first of all, the purpose of the church is this. It is spirit-empowered witness of Jesus. For without the spirit, we would never leave the upper room. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're told that after... Um, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he showed himself to his, to his disciples and he was with them for 40 days before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And, and the day that he left his disciples, he said, he said this to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice that the witness of the disciples to the reality of the life of Christ, that when they're not, that the power of the gospel is not our ability to, to proclaim an ideology, but it is to present to the world the living Christ who is ever present in his church amongst his people, who comes to dwell literally within the believer, that this reality is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, at the very close of the gospel of Luke, in verses 44 through 49, it says this, and Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Remember what Jesus says, why do you search the scriptures for understanding? If you actually knew the scriptures, you would knew that they all speak of me. That we're not preaching the word of God unless we are pointing people to Jesus. The written word is a pointer to the living word. Nothing breeds arrogance faster than a worship of the written word. The written word is meant to lead us to actual intimacy with the living Christ as the Holy Spirit illuminates it. And he says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Notice that even our understanding of the scriptures requires a supernatural illumination. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance, that is that change of direction, I was going this way, now I'm going this way, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." In other words, your witness of me will not be effective until I have poured my spirit out upon you. And what we read in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples were gathered together in the upper room. There they were hidden away, praying fervently that God would send the promise of the spirit. You remember in John chapter 15, Jesus said on the night of his betrayal, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And he tells them, and you will continue to have me in your life by the presence of my spirit within you. When he comes, he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. When he comes, he will proclaim to the world through you, essentially, the truth of who I am. This is why I always say that the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is a missionary spirit. And it is very dangerous for us to talk about the spirit apart from Jesus. In fact, I would argue, in the words of Dale Bruner, that the Holy Spirit is the shy one in the Trinity. That the moment that, the, that we put our focus on the Spirit, the Spirit immediately redirects our attention to Jesus. Just the same as we, the moment the attention is placed upon us, we are meant by the power of the Spirit. That's why when the Spirit is in control of our lives, the natural inclination of the redeemed heart is to point people back to Christ. And so I'm, I'm concerned as we look at movements within the church that tend to make the Christian life about what you can get from God for your own personal satisfaction. And this can be spiritualized in a, in a, in a, in a variety of ways, but the fact is, is that to be spirit-filled is to be moved toward witness because the Spirit's primary responsibility in the world is to point people to Jesus. Now, the Spirit can do that through a variety of ways, and there can be miraculous realities, but let me just tell you, if miracles were normal, they wouldn't be miraculous. A miracle is something that sits out of the normative experience, and there is no greater miracle than the fact that men and women, boys and girls, continue to experience the regeneration of God's spirit in their lives, transferring them from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. And I think that, that the fact is, is that the spirit does come upon us and give us prophetic words. The spirit does bring healing at times. I've seen it. But the primary responsibility of the spirit is spirit-fueled witness to Jesus. And all of the things that the spirit does within the church is for the purpose of pointing people to Christ. And the moment it stops pointing people to Christ and starts pointing people toward their own supernatural experiences or the sensational, we have lost our grip on the gospel. And there very well may be a spirit working within that church, but I would argue it's not the spirit of God. In fact, we are told specifically in Scripture that we are to test the spirits, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and rulers of this age, and that Satan himself appears as an angel of light, deceiving, a deceiving spirit, that he is a liar and has been a liar from the beginning, as opposed to the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth is not giving us the ability to proclaim truthful maxims about how to live. The truth for us is not, once again, a list of do's and don'ts. The truth for us is Christ himself, who is the fulfillment of the law, who is himself the embodiment of all that is actual, all that is real. I have always liked to say that he is the reality upon which all other realities hinge. And therefore, for us, our witness is dependent upon the Spirit's empowerment and that as we step out into this call to be the witnesses that Christ has called us to be, he saved us not so that we can get out of hell and get into heaven. He saved us 
so that he might utilize us for the purpose of bringing other people into his saving reality. In fact, I've often said that when Jesus says, he says, you did not choose me, I chose you. There's a, a very troubling verse for a lot of because it speaks to this strange doctrine of election. And, and what do we think that that means? That he chose them and rejected others? No, he chose them for a very specific task. Just as he has chosen you for the same task. Because if you look at the end of Matthew, what does the Great Commission say? And what does it say here in Acts chapter 1? I have chosen you so that through you I can bring my saving reality to all. The logic of election is that God chooses to love sinners in their sin. And we are called to be the embodiment of that as we give ourselves to Jesus. Now here's the thing. Practically speaking, when I first got saved, this, I got saved at 27 years old. And I knew nothing. I just was reading the Gospels. And I kept reading through the Gospels. And, and, and I, I, I came to the conclusion that there was something so compelling about Jesus and in fact, Jesus himself said that no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. If you're not a believer here today, just know this, that the fact that you're sitting in a church on Sunday in, Port, in progressive Portland, Oregon, is because God is drawing you to himself because it's his nature to do so. He's a redeeming God who is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. But the Spirit was drawing me to the truth of who Jesus is. And, and I like to say that every movement you take toward God, God is always previous. And we don't have to try to get our heads around that. Because time doesn't work the same way for God as it does for us. But there is a power. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, what? I will draw all people to myself. And if Jesus is, is one who is drawing people to himself as his church lifts him up, then we can recognize the supernatural reality of this. This is why it says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who have come into a saving knowledge of Jesus, it is, it is the power of God to salvation. I think that, that Paul said, I did not come to you in eloquent words. When he says, we preach Christ crucified. I have determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. That was a man who knew more than most people. And yet he says, all of that is rubbish if it doesn't centralize on the fact that I am called to be a witness to Jesus. The Spirit brings us to the, a, a saving understanding of who Jesus is as we say yes to his yes. And, and when I first came to faith, the first thing that happened when I got saved was I wanted to tell people about it. And, and I began to tell people about it. And many of my friends thought I was crazy because I was the guy who had stars tattooed around his nipples, which is why I don't swim. And um, maybe next week, maybe when I do the baptisms will be the first time, I just, just, just expose it all. Naked Faith. It's going to be the title of my next book. This is going to be me naked. No, I'm not joking. That would be horrible. Horrifying on many levels. Uh, but this, this reality, I, I, I came to this place where I'm like, nobody believed me. They're like, we know you. You're the guy that always wore makeup and fake eyelashes and thought you were David Bowie. And now you're telling us about Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? You've done way too much acid. Um, and it's like, and all of that might be true. But the fact is, is that I had been changed and I couldn't not talk about it. There was something in me. I didn't even want to. I often would come into a group setting and I would be like, I can't, I don't want it. And then I'm like, hey, what do you guys think of Jesus? And I'm like, dang it. 
why did I say that? I don't want to say this. Um, there was something that just compelled me because it was such a radical change in my life. It's, we talk about what we're passionate about. We talk about what changes us. When, when someone goes through a radical change, when you fall in love, the, you, you want to tell people that you're in love. When you have a, a, a massive change that brings blessing to your life, you want to talk with people about it. Now, some of you are more private, and it's true that I am a verbal processor, so I, I made a good, a good candidate for being a preacher. But the, the fact is, is, that, is that I couldn't be silent about it because I knew what I had been saved from. And people began to reject me, but some people wanted to hear more. And I'll never forget... Uh, a dear friend of mine, literally like two months after I had become a believer, I'm sharing the gospel with him to the best of my ability, which was not very good. I couldn't explain most things to him, but I was able to tell him, Jesus loves you. And he's like, I need that. The girl he was engaged to had left him. He was, he was having a crisis. He was like, I just need something to believe in. And I, I explained to him who Jesus was. I gave him the, the, the best gospel I could with very limited information. And I even said to him, listen, I was told that we were supposed to pray this prayer that like Jesus actually lived the perfect life you couldn't live that he died the death that you deserve, and that on the third day he rose from the dead. And, and it says that whoever confesses his name and believes that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. And I don't fully, I don't totally feel saved. I've been praying this prayer every day. Let's just pray this together. I'm going to pray it again anyway. And we prayed, we prayed the prayer, and, and he experienced this awakening. And we began a Bible study and we began to tell other people about Jesus. And we were drawing people into this. In fact, when I went to Russia on my first mission trip, I, I remember I was sharing the gospel with two young Russian women through a translator. And as the translator was translating what I was saying, all of a sudden she just stopped talking to the girls. And they were just hanging on every word. And I'm like, why, I, why do you stop translating? I look over the translator and she's weeping. She's just a translator of the message. She wasn't even there to, I forgot that she didn't know Jesus either because the guy that did the church planning missions in Russia was brilliant enough to hire non-Christian translators from the colleges. And often about something like 60, 70% of them after translating the gospel all day uh, would come to faith. Because when Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to himself. These three girls prayed to receive Christ. I hadn't even been a believer for a year. There's nothing in me. Well, there was something in me, but there's nothing in my natural ability that was that persuasive because I wasn't very eloquent. I wasn't, I wasn't refined in my knowledge, but I had what I believe is the most infectious quality that any Christian can have. One who knows that they have been lost and are now found. One who knows what it's like to have been dead and to now be alive. One who knows in the depths of their being that although they're an absolute disaster, there's a God in heaven that loves them on their worst day. I knew that. Someone asked me not that long ago what they felt was my greatest spiritual gift. 
And I'm like, I don't know. But I will say this, I think the best gift that I can give to the church and what I've tried to always give to the church is that I actually really love Jesus. And I actually think that will carry you pretty far. But one can't come to a love of Christ without the Spirit's empowerment. Two other girls I remember were following us um, when we were in Russia on that first mission trip. And, and we turned around and asked them to do a translator us, why are you following us? What, why do you keep following us around? And they said, because there's so much light in you. None of us were aware of any light. It's not like we were being like morally perfect, you know, conduits of grace in Russia. And there was nothing that we were doing that was evidencing anything other than there was a joy. There was a supernatural lightness, if you will, that, that filled the group, an excitement, an enthusiasm, a charisma that came with knowing in whom we have believed and seeing God's power change a person's life. This is why I believe Christians get so stinking bored in the pew and why we keep turning to the ways of the world when it comes to what we preach is because we have lost our purpose. And if we are not witnesses to the gospel of Jesus, we will not experience the power of the gospel in a way that will keep us interested. Therefore, we will continue to pursue secret knowledge, new truths, things that will help us be our best persons now. But this is not the purpose of the gospel. And this is why I think it's important for us to know that as Proverbs 14, 5 says, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. The spirit alone is the spirit of truth. And the truth of the gospel proclaimed through us is the spirit's presence in our lives. So our yieldedness to the spirit of truth inevitably should lead us as we surrender daily to a witness of the truth of who Jesus is to a lost world. And you want the gospel to be exciting. You want your life to be more than just this small universe by which you are at the center of it. I promise you, if you begin to move outwardly, the inward man, the inward woman will begin to be literally transformed. Literally transformed. The other day, a young man picked me up in an Uber in front of the church. And... Uh, his name is Alex. I don't know if Alex is here today. He said he was going to come. If you're here, I'm using you as an illustration. Um, and and I, got in the, I got in the car and uh, he goes, whoa, those are some sick tattoos. How long have you been doing that? And I said, hmm, 30 years. Um, by the way, you guys should pray for me. I just bought my first tattoo gun. Is that a sin? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone wants to be, a, I would love to tattoo you. Um, in case things don't work out for me here, that's my next, my next occupation. Everyone always thinks I'm a tattoo artist. I decided that I should be able to say yes, and a pastor. Um, Darcy's like, this is not going to be good. Don't worry, I will only tattoo my legs. <laughs> She's like, do not tattoo your face. Um, people are like, what about Leviticus? Jesus is the end of the law. That's all I'll say. Uh, but but he, he's like, I go, 30 years. I go, but I, I haven't tattooed my legs yet and he and he goes oh man that's the only place I have tattoos I go really why and he goes uh, I come from a very um, religious Slavic background Orthodox Church and uh, my my parents don't know um, and he like massive 
really huge tattoos on his legs. I'm like, and, and I go, oh, that's, that's cool. And he, I go, what's that one on your thigh? And he goes, I'm sorry, it's, it, it's supposed to be King David. And I'm like, I think it looks cool. It didn't really look like David, but it looks cool. Uh, I don't know what David looks like, so it could be anyone. Um, uh, but, but we were talking, and I go, well, did you notice what you picked me up in front of? And he's like, no. And I'm like, you picked me up in front of a church because I'm the pastor of that church. And he goes, no effing way. <laughs> and I'm like, he just thought he was picking me up randomly in the neighborhood. I'm like, no, yeah, really, I'm the pastor of that church. And he goes, do people judge you? And I'm like, oh, they do. <laughs> but in a loving way, <laughs> most of the time. And it was just this really beautiful interaction. At the end of the drive, he's like, Can I, do you have a business card? And I'm like, I do have a Jesus business card. Um, and so I, I ran in the house. He waited in his car, and I gave him a card. I said, come, come to Door of Hope. That is witness. I don't, I don't save people. Jesus saves people. I am just the mailman. I just tell people the same story again and again and again. But that's what we're all supposed to do. And spirit-filled witness, a community that is spirit-filled, is a, is a community that is gathered around the living Christ, that we're not here to learn about Jesus, we're here to, make, to meet with him, uh, to make him known as his presence is manifest amongst his people. And that's why when people come into the church, they often, I remember my friend Ronnie Feist, who is, uh, I had this um, Bible study with this group called the Metal Militia. If you guys have ever heard of them, they're like this hardcore, like freestyle motocross guys, and they, they, they're the ones that do backflips on, on, with 250-pound motorcycles, which is dumb. Um, and, uh, but Ronnie uh, got saved and, and, and this guy, Brian Deegan, who's the founder of Metal Militia, and they started meeting with me. And I remember Ronnie came up to me after a service one night and he said, he goes, hey, PJ, they all call me PJ for Pastor Josh. Um, he's like, hey, PJ, like this thing keeps happening when I'm, when, when the music's going. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I don't know, you know, like I just keep, and I'm like, what are, you, what are you trying to say to me right now? And he's like, he goes, I keep crying. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm sorry. What did you say? You keep crying? I'm like, what's wrong with you? No, I, I, and he's like, what? He goes, what is that? And I'm like, it's the spirit. I'm like, well, hopefully it's not that the music's bad. But it, that is, the, it, but it, that the spirit is, is moving you. You're, you're sensing God's presence. And he was going through a radical transformation at the time, like where he was, you know, when I first met him, he was still had multiple girlfriends in different states where he would, I mean, they're rock stars in their universe. And, and, and here he was like beginning to push those things away and the spirit of God was getting control of him and it was just melting him. And I just think this is the power of the gospel. It's not the preacher preaching, it's the whole community together, our witness together, that we have come with an expectation that we're gonna meet the living Christ. What a powerful thing that is. This is why spirit-empowered witness of Jesus is the purpose of the church. As has been wisely said um, by, by a Catholic priest who's very involved, he's a charismatic Catholic priest, said to me, without the spirit, we would never leave the upper room. The disciples, once the spirit of God came upon them, they were blown into the streets where the proclamation of the gospel was, was heard and manifested. This is why we gather together. 
so that we might be empowered by the Spirit as we gather around Jesus to make Jesus known. And this is why I think the church matters and why we should gather, both in the temple and from house to house. The holiness of the church. How does sanctification connect with witness? I would argue that the Spirit sanctifies as we witness. And where there is no witness, there is no real sanctification. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. There's that picture again. I have chosen you so that through you I might reach more. I've chosen you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit in belief in the truth. God's witness to our own hearts by His Spirit. The Spirit of God puts a seal upon our heart where there is a witness of the reality of what we have believed. For it says that the Spirit of God, um, the Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. All of a sudden now we know that we are loved, but it's not just simply our ability to know that we are loved that we have been saved, but it is also the creative capacity of God's love to be revealers of that same love. That the love of God is a foreign flower planted in, in the soil of our hearts. That we don't have the capacity to, lo to love people with the grace of God to make that one-way love of God known unless the Spirit of God has moved in our lives. And if your mentality around what the gospel is is about who you are not to be with, then there is a problem in your theology. Because yes, sanctification is another word for holiness. And holiness is a word for separation. But it's not separation from the world. It's separated unto God for the purpose of being utilized in the world. It means that we are not of the world, but we are in it. We can't escape it, nor should we try to cloister ourselves from it. I like what um, Jacques Ellul says, we cannot make the world less sinful, nor can we accept it as it is. And to proclaim anything else would be to not be honest about the truth of the, of the reality. We are here as conduits of grace, sinners who have been saved. Our holiness is our, our separation to or our surrender to the mission of God. And therefore, our sanctification flows out of our witness. Witness doesn't sanctify us but it brings about the, the motivation for that sanctification. My desire to pray more, to read the Bible more, to read Christians who have gone before me more, to meet with other believers, to do Bible studies, to do all the things that we do as the church, all of those things flowed out of all of the sudden being this broken, messed up individual who was on the verge of, leaving, of losing his wife, on the verge of blowing up his entire universe, has been radically saved, and the gratitude that flowed out of that and the desire to make him known, as I made him known, and I saw people transformed by that same gospel, I'm like, Lord, I want to know you more. It created a hunger to grow. Someone asked me once, like, I remember I had only been 
a pastor for, I'd only been a believer for like 10 years and I w went into ministry after being a believer for two years. And I started off where I just like, I read insatiably, like, and I still read <laughs> insatiably. Um, but the whole desire for learning, I wasn't that much of a reader before I got saved. It was just, I wanted to, if God gave me his thoughts in the form of a really large archaic book, I wanted to know it. And I began to memorize entire chapters of the Bible. I began to in, commit it not to impress people, but because I wanted to have the tools because the thing that excited me was seeing someone else changed. I wasn't actually that interested in putting too much focus or thought into what was going on in my head because I knew that in me, I was just kind of crazy. And every time I was inward focused, which was most of my life, that, that nothing healthy came out of that. That my sanctification was my surrendering of that self-absorption, that self-justification, the right to be owner and ruler over my own life and a complete surrender. Jesus, I just want to be, I want to be wherever you are. And where Jesus is, is, is wherever broken and hurting and lost people are because he has come to seek and save that which is lost. And that's why if we as a church try to separate ourselves from broken and lost people, first of all, we're not understanding that we are just as broken and lost without Jesus. And secondly, Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, stay still. He says, be still and know that I am God. But that stillness is meant to lead us then immediately into walking with God walking in intimacy with him, following him into this world. This is why there is no static position for the Christian. You are either moving closer to Jesus or you are drifting further away from him. And here we see that our sanctification is the work of the Spirit. And if the Spirit's primary work is a, is a missionary role, the Spirit comes to make Jesus known in the world. How can we say we are being sanctified by him and refuse to be a part of his primary role? How can you say, well, I pray all the time and, and I read my Bible all the time and I'm involved in every activity, but I never mention a word about Jesus to a lost, a lost person. I would say that there is a fundamental disconnect there because you're saying that the primary role of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean anything to you personally and I would ask the question then how do you know that it's the spirit of God that that is motivating you because if it's not motivating you to go out there's something wrong with your faith and what I would say is this is why we need one another not everybody is bold there's different temperaments some people are more introverted than others some people are more extroverted than others some people are more bold than others some people are more timid but let me just tell you I was a young man who was controlled by fear. Timid, unpopular in school, picked on ruthlessly. I lived inside my head, actually. I moved every single year of grade school. I went through two not very awesome stepdads. I was the kid who, in ninth grade, three guys loved to punch me in the stomach every single day for all of ninth grade to make me cry so that they could laugh at me for crying. I was the last kid to go through puberty, which is not fun when you're forced to take showers. All of these things, all of this brokenness, how does one make sense of that kind of hurt? The beauty of the gospel is that it even redeems our past and brings beauty out of it that becomes a part of our testimony on how we can actually bring healing to other people that are hurting. I think that this is why we, we must recognize that yes, 
I understand that our temperaments often define our activity. However, we can't say, I was born this way. Because if you have met Jesus, you have been born again. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And I want you guys to know that this is not a message that is meant to make you feel guilty for your lack of witness. This is a message to make you recognize that Jesus loves you. And none of this is taken in by surprise. And what it's really meant to speak is that the Spirit works communally in our lives. We don't just work alone. We work together to be to make Jesus most powerfully known. Everyone on staff has very different gift sets. And it's the group together. This church would not happen, I promise you. You would not have coffee, you would not have a clean space. If, if it was all upon me to do everything, this, this church would not be happening. There is a whole group that, that makes it possible for the gospel to be proclaimed. And each one of you have a unique temperament in which God has designed you to uniquely contribute to his gospel proclamation. You may not be called to be the preacher on the stage, but you are called to be a witness to Jesus. Which means that in word and in deed, the word is the message we communicate to our family, to our friends, because our lives... The sanctification that has occurred through the regeneration of the Spirit is, is demanding that we explain what's going on in us. And what I mean by that is, do people see something different in you? When someone that is lost comes into our community, do they experience the presence of God? I believe they do. In fact, some people have told me that recently. They just experience the Spirit of God. Do they experience grace? Do they feel loved? Are you looking for people around you that you've not met before after church? You know, some people come in and say, I went to Door of Hope. You know, there's nothing worse than like a Yelp review where they're like, I went to Door of Hope and nobody said hi to me. Um, and, and I'm like, there are some people that don't make it easy for you to want to say hi. But I would encourage you, be tenacious in your pursuit of people around you. Be tenacious in looking for those people that seem alone or seem uncomfortable or seem scared to let them know that you're glad that they're here. Because it's a little word like that that actually becomes a part of the whole witnessing story. It's how the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't just hit people over the head with the gospel. The Spirit begins to draw people in by, A, people actually feeling loved. That, that the lost world is not like some sort of experiment where we're trying to get people saved so we can put another notch on the wall. That's not the goal of witness. The witness is just, we're just letting you know what it is that you're seeing in us. This is our holiness. This is our sanctification. And there is no sanctification apart from witness. And there is no witness apart from sanctification. Finally, this means for us as a church that should have spirit-fueled witness that the maximum of the church comes from the very words of John the Baptist. That when Jesus is lifted up, that's witness. As we surrender to the spirit, that's sanctification. The words that should define us are these words. He must increase, but I must decrease. I like what Karl Barth said in a sermon he gave once called Here and Now. He said, every obligation we might supposedly have toward this world's God is dissolved by the cross of Christ. Every 
Really, every anxiety which we could have in this world was removed in him. He, Jesus Christ, stands as victor over our sins of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, over the hosts of temptation, over the horror of death and hell. And it is because of this reality, because God has moved toward us in his gracious love that is not driven by what we do for him, but what he has done for us. This creates in us an, a new affection that, that, that allows us now the ability to say, I can't do this without Jesus. I can't live without his presence in my life. I can't make him known unless he himself is the one who empowers me. And the humility and meekness that is necessary in the church, if love is a foundation and the cross is the center and our confession is the key to our fellowship, our witness as our sanctification must be driven by a spirit of humility. That we are sinners and, it, and the only reason we are saints is because we are sinners who have been forgiven. Not because we now have got our lives all together and we're no longer broken. But we're quick to confess our brokenness. And we're quick to recognize that sin no longer has the last word. But the love of God controls me. And for this, I am willing to say, I must decrease that he might increase because if he is the greatest satisfaction of life and making him known is the greatest goal of life then how can we not surrender everything to him when Jesus said pick up your cross and follow me he was saying die to yourself so that you can come alive in me Jesus is our victory he is our center he is our purpose he is our proclamation he is our everything and this is why we must be, as we surrender to him, the light of the world because it's his lights that's shining through us. The salt of the earth because he's the one preserving our lives and wants to bring that preserving reality to the world. Because he is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And we can comfortably be lambs amongst wolves because we are willing to be an emblem of the sacrificial life of Jesus as we lay down our lives for the good of those around us. Our witness is our sanctification as we decrease and he is lifted up. For Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. And we want people, Lord, to know that they are loved by you. And Lord, we want to be a people that celebrate the life that we have in you each day. And Lord, I think that often talent, natural giftings can be confused with anointing. And that is those realities by which the Spirit himself produces in our life as a community. I pray that people gather here to meet with you, not to hear the words of a man. Or just simply to sing songs or to drink some reasonable coffee. Lord, no, our reason for gathering is because we have recognize the power of your own words when two or more gather in my name I am there in the midst of them 
And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring your conviction upon our lives. Not a conviction that brings guilt and shame, but a conviction that brings godly sorrow. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, a sorrow that flows out of the ways that we miss so many opportunities to be intimately engaged with you. But Holy Spirit, you're not just one who brings conviction, you're the comforter. For blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so Lord, we do ask for your forgiveness for the weakness of our witness. And at the same time, Lord, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. That our sin has been dealt with once and for all on the cross of Calvary. That death and sin and the dominions of darkness no longer have the last word, but you who is the victor over those things. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for your sacrifice for the world. Now may we as your elect recognize that we were chosen so that through us you can reach all. Enter into this beautiful, this beautiful partnership. It is a responsibility, but it is a gift to be utilized by you to bring your love to a lost world. Lord, the world is living in fear. We are a divided people and there is so much anger, so much, so much violence, Lord. Lord, we had a fatal shooting just five blocks from our church last Sunday, right after service. And yet, Lord, we are not to lose hope. For you said the days are dark and that they would become increasingly difficult before you return, but we trust in you and we have no right to have anything but hope because you are our hope and you are our peace. So may we be conduits of your rest. May we be witnesses of your love. Holy Spirit, we do invite you to point, to point others to Christ through us. Thank you for pointing us again and again to Jesus, our King, our Savior. You indeed are our Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.